I'm glad to be out to God's house tonight. Glad to say I'm converted and sanctified. I have the Holy Ghost in my heart. That's what it's going to take to make it to a home in heaven. And if you don't come the old pathway, you're not going to be there. But you can look for me, I'll be there. I've been taught the old way, and I'm going that way, and I'm glad to have God's Holy Spirit in my heart. I ask that you pray for me tonight. Uh, need the direction of the Holy Spirit to uh, fill my mouth and let God's Word guide me and pray that it would be a blessing uh, unto the Lord and a blessing unto the people of God. That's my only desire tonight as we read from God's Word. Reading in uh, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, starting in the first verse, this first few verses has been read a few times, this camp meeting. It's been really good, and I'm going to read these first few verses and read on a few other verses that haven't been read, but... Uh, these are exciting verses that uh, Paul was telling Timothy uh, to encourage him to be strong in the face of false religion and false doctrine. And uh, if you take a stand for something, you also have to take a stand against something. You can't just allow everything to come into the church. The Bible talks about it as winds of doctrine. And uh, if we just let every wind of doctrine and every idea of man that blew in take root into the church, the church would soon be uh, corrupt. And so Paul is trying to warn Timothy there as a young minister of the things that he would have to face and the adversity he would have to face. And one of the greatest challenges he told Timothy he would have to face would be false teachers, false theologies uh, that would take people away from the essence of who Christ was through the two works of grace and the experience of holiness and teach them fables, lies, things that weren't true. And so he said, I charge thee. He gave them instruction right away in his letter. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. First thing he told them was to preach the word. This is very important for the church uh, to understand that they needed to get a hold of the word of God. Because the word of God will heal. The word of God can instruct. The Word of God can help people to understand the plan of salvation. Amen. The Word of God helps you to understand what the kingdom of God is. That is a present reality in the hearts of man. It helps us to understand uh, the parables that Christ taught when he said the kingdom of God is like unto this or the kingdom of God is like unto that. He was trying to tell you that the kingdom of heaven was coming and it was going to come in their hearts and their souls and their minds. But yet the false teachers, the false uh, teachers, they couldn't understand those things the same as they can't understand them today. But at all, the only reason they couldn't understand it is the same thing that he told Nicodemus. It's that simple. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter how many degrees. I mean, you get a doctoral of divinity from Harvard University. Unless you get the born again experience, you can't see the kingdom of God. So he told him to preach the word. Those three words there were so powerful to him. Don't stray away from the word. Read the word when you get in the pulpit. Read the word when you testify. Tell people about the Word of God. Brother Harry said, fill the Word. Read it at night when you're, uh, before you go to bed. Understand that let the law of the Word of God sink into your heart. In the church, the Word needs to be read. Not stories, not fables, not ideas, not opinions of man, not all these things, but he said to preach the Word. The Word is life. The Word is holiness. The Word is right. The Word gives us instructions in the ways of righteousness. It's the churches and denominations that have taken the Word out and, have, and brought in fables and lies and false teachings. Those churches are dead. As it said in Revelation, letter the candlestick has been removed uh, from the presence. That's why we need not only the Holy Spirit and the experience of it, but we need to preach the Word. 
So he says, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when then. And who is they that he was referring to? The general body of people that once knew truth. The general uh, body today of people that once knew truth is called uh, Protestantism as a whole. The Christian denominations of, of, the, of the day and age. And many of them fall into the category of what he said when he said the time will come when they. For the most part, everyone says they're a Christian today. Very few people know or understand the word sanctification. They don't understand about the second cleansing. They don't understand about living free from sin. They don't understand about the present reality of the kingdom of God. All these other ideas have infiltrated into movements. And I'm not talking just about Calvinist movements. Churches that had their foundation in two works of grace. Um, the, the churches that started out well, preaching second blessing holiness. United Methodist, uh, Methodist Episcopal, the Nazarene Church. These churches started with a strong foundation in second blessing holiness. But today you couldn't even hear the word sanctification in many of the pulpits. And so it was important for them to understand that they needed to have preached the word and stop uh, paying these ministers to come in and telling them what they want to hear, but instead let the ministers preach the Word under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Preach the Word when the people will receive it. Preach the Word when the people won't receive it. Preach the Word, be instant, in season, out of season. It's the Word that will heal. And so when the Word is in the church, the power of God is also there. So he told them to preach the Word. He says, but they will not endure, will not endure, will not receive, will not have, will not allow it to come in. They won't believe it. They won't see it. They won't understand it. They don't want it. He said, they will not endure this thing, sound doctrine. Now, it didn't say that they wouldn't uh, talk about Jesus and his love. It didn't say that they wouldn't have the name Christian over the door. But it said there will be a time when they, uh, the predominant people that call themselves Christians, they will not endure what he calls sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers. It said they have itching ears. What is itching ears? Well, if you ever owned a dog, you know that they like to be scratched behind the ears. And as long as you have the patience and time, um, they'll stay with you and allow, allow you to scratch them behind the ears. Why? Because it itches back there. And it feels uncomfortable. So they come up to you and you just... Pet them, scratch them, and they're happy and content then. Well, when people feel uncomfortable in their condition, it kind of, it's like it itches. And they want to feel better, but some people don't really want to get right with God. So he said that they would heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. So they've turned away from the truth, and turn to these teachers, many times making a good salary. They're told exactly what they're supposed to preach. If they don't preach it, they'll be fired. And they'll bring someone else. They'll heap unto themselves someone else. Another teacher. Having itching ears. Turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Sometimes you read uh, your children's stories. Uh, they may be funny stories and things like that. You know, but a lot of them are not true. Yeah. They're just fables. Someone made them up. And hopefully we're reading uh, Bible stories to our children also. But but fables are not true. If you go into the fiction section of a bookstore, uh, you'll find, uh, as uh, Brother Leon mentioned, the Left Behind series about uh, how God's going to rapture up His church. And uh, 
those that weren't faithful will be left behind and get a second chance as long as they don't take the mark of the beast. Yep. Well, they're in the fiction section and they belong there because they're fables. <laughs> That's where they belong, in the fiction section. It's not the word. The word rapture is not in the Bible. One time. What about millennium? Not in the Bible either. Watch out. Not in the Bible. Keep looking for it. You're not going to find the word millennium in the Bible. We need to preach the word. And the word will heal. The word is life. Sanctification will heal. Sanctification is in the Bible. God has chosen you from the beginning to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief in the truth. So these are fables. And they're not just coming to them. They said they'd heap unto themselves. They want more and more of this. Seminaries are full today. It's a, it's a big time business today. And uh, these ministers are making good salaries. Some of them, I've heard, have come out of seminary not even believing in the virgin birth. And are given positions, high positions, in denominations today. They've heaped unto themselves. Teachers having itching ears. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. He says then to do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. I'd like to take just a few moments to talk about Demas tonight and the situation that he was in. Demas is mentioned three times in the New Testament scriptures. He was mentioned in the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians. The book of Philemon and the book of Colossians were written two years before 2 Timothy was written. Even though in chronological order, Philemon falls two books after 2 Timothy, it was written very shortly after Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. In the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians, Timothy, um, Paul gives Demas a very good report. Um, he lists him that Luke, in Colossians, Luke and I greet you along with Demas. He must have been an important figure in the establishment of the early New Testament church. He must have had a solid experience of sanctification if he was walking with Paul on his missionary's journeys to help him establish churches so much that his name was recognized in the New Testament Scripture. Imagine thousands and maybe even millions of converts in the early church. This man, Demas, was mentioned three times in the New Testament Scripture. Around 62 A.D. was when Philemon and when Colossians was written. In Philemon, he is mentioned... As my fellow laborer, Demas, we greet you. Must have been a, a, a powerful figure. Maybe he was a preacher and teacher. All we do know is that he walked alongside with the Apostle Paul. He must have heard some really good sermons. Really good messages. He must have also been part of some persecution and things that Paul went through in the world. But here, as Paul was sitting in prison writing to his son in the Lord, Timothy... It scarred him that two years later, in 64 A.D., when this book was written, that Demas had forsaken him. For what purpose? It, it, it bothered Paul so much that he had to mention Demas' name again. Maybe he loved Demas. Maybe they traveled together so much they became friends. But Demas was in a predicament because something happened to him that could happen to anybody, any one of us. If we play around with the world too much. Demas, a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul, who helped establish the New Testament church, having loved this present world, forsook Paul and was departed to pursue pleasure in Thessalonica. A tragic situation for Demas. Unless Demas repented, 
He's still in hell today. That's right. Paul is still enjoying the pleasures of heaven. All the joys. But Demas chose to have just a short season of sin and spend eternity in hell rather than continue to help the Apostle Paul uh, establish the New Testament church. Reading in Mark, the fourth chapter, it says, and uh, Brother Arthur mentioned about the wayside and uh, how the seed, when it's sown, the word is sown, it falls on four different types of ground. And the first one was the wayside. Many people hear the word, it says, and immediately the enemy comes in like a fowl and comes in and takes that word. Uh, many of you will hear the word tonight, and if you're not right with God, immediately the devil will come right into your heart, right into your mind and soul and say, that's not for you because of this, this, and this. And immediately a fowl, uh, one of the enemy's servants, comes in and just takes the word right out of your heart. Then there was one, some that fell on stony ground. These actually had received the word for a time. But it said when, when the sun came up and scorched it, and by and by because of uh, afflictions, uh, because they had no root, it withered and died. And then the one I would like to focus on tonight is the thorny ground. This thorny ground is one of the deadliest things that can happen to anybody. And the thorny ground relates to the world. It relates to the cares of this world. And we'll see as Christ explains what the thorny ground is here in this parable uh, how we can beware unless we allow these weeds and thorns to come in and basically choke out the word in our lives. It says, Know not this parable, how then will you know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they which are they by the wayside when the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. You know, a lot of people, they hear the word and they receive it with gladness. That's great. I'd like to go to heaven. That'd be nice. It'd be good to go to heaven. It'd be wonderful. So they receive it with gladness. And have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution. Oh, it will come. You're going to have to take a bold stand for God. Uh, in your workplace, with your friend, old friends that wanted you to go out and party and do things after you get sanctified, if you were running with a bad crowd, you've got to endure some persecution, endure some affliction. But he said, these that had no root, said when affliction or persecution arises because of the word's sake, what God had sowed in their hearts, because of that work God had done, it caused some persecution with the world. Immediately they, who is he talking to? The Christian is offended. They are offended. And he says in verse 18, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Three things choke out the word here. First of all, it says, And the cares of this world. It didn't mention any particular sin or even any particular avenue of sin. You know, you can just get so involved in the cares, the burdens, your work. Things that are going on in your family. The cares, just the cares of this world. That it will choke out the word. Not any particular sin. Not any particular wrong. Just slowly but surely, day after day. Missing one meeting. Missing another meeting. Missing praying. Missing reading the word. Soon you're just involved in the cares of this world. And it chokes out the word. Second thing he said. The deceitfulness of riches. Well, Jesus said you cannot... Serve God and man. Which side of the fence are you on? 
You cannot serve God and worldly riches is what he was saying. That's what mammon means. Worldly riches. You cannot pursue as a number one interest in your life worldly riches and also serve God. It's one or the other. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust for other things. There's sin right there. In any category, any way. You can't get around it. It doesn't mention anything specific, but it says lust for other things. Anything. When it takes your attention away from the work of the Lord and the kingdom of God, it is a lust for another thing, and it is idolatry against God. Those things choke out the word, it says, and it becometh unfruitful. If we want to stay fruitful for God, we've got to weed our garden. He, the person of, of God will keep himself, and the wicked one touches him not. There are some things that we have to do to stay clean before God. <coughs> Excuse me. Reading in James, the fourth chapter. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they hence? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust, and ye have not. Who can honestly say that when they sinned and they did something against God that they felt good about it afterwards? You lust, committed sin against God, and you have not. You have not what? You don't have what the devil promised you, that's for sure. He promised you contentment. He promised you that that would make you feel good. He promised that would be a good thing for your life, for your family, for anybody around you. And you find out, you lust, you do what God says, uh, what the devil says, and you have not. You don't have... Righteousness. You don't have peace. You don't have joy in the Holy Ghost. You've lost everything good in your life Amen. because you followed the path of the world. So right. he said you lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war and you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not. Why? Why can't I get what I want from the Lord? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. God doesn't want to give us things in this world. Things that would detract from the kingdom of God. If we're asking for things that are against the kingdom of God, we're not going to receive those things. But if we ask anything according to the will of God, it shall be done. The adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. So God's word, that's why we got to preach the word. God's word makes a complete separation between the world and the church. They're two different things. You can live out in the world. And you can do the work of God in the church, but you can't do both. You can't have one hand in one and one hand in the other. Make a decision. What do you want for your life? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. What do you want? The wages of sin, which is death. But the gift of God is life eternal. Ah, There's nothing in between there. So he said that friendship with the world. Heard people say, well, if I make this kind of stand, I'm worried about what my friends in the world will think. Oh, you've got to get victory over that. (laughs) You've got to get victory over You've got to get to the point where you don't care what the world thinks about you. He that is a, a friend of God uh, will not be a friend of the world. So you've got to make a separation where you know I'm going to take a stand for God Amen. and for righteousness. You know, people say, well, if I do this and, and follow this standard and do these things, what will everybody in the world think of me? We ought to be more concerned. If I make this stand, this righteous stand, what will people in the church think about me? What will God think about me? How can I do His righteous will? We ought to be more concerned about the work of the Lord and not worry so much about what the world thinks of us. Amen. Know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? And then he puts it even stronger. And as I was reading this in the past few weeks, it really hit me like a ton of bricks when I read this, these words here. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world 
is the enemy of God. That's pretty strong. We told him, you want to be a friend of the world? You made a decision. You're now an enemy of God. And I thought, Lord, I do not want to be an enemy of God. That would be a big mistake. Lord, help me to take a better stand for you. Help me to be more of a witness at work. Help me to do your will and talk to people about the Lord and not be concerned about what they think about me. Not be concerned that they might think I'm odd or strange for some of the stands that I take. Because I don't want to be a friend of the world. A friend of the world is an enemy of God. He's called us out of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, I know that some, like uh, even the Amish and Mennonites, they completely take themselves completely out of the world. And uh, they have their own place where they worship. They never go out into the world. But I believe God doesn't want that extreme either. Because we need to be in the world as salt and light. And if the salt and light is removed and the salt loses its savor, how can the world know about Jesus Christ? But we're not in the world to be influenced by them. To be a part of their sins and partakers of the things they do. God called us to go out into the world to be salt and light, to bring them out of that burning building back into the house of God. So He does want us in the world, yes, but not of the world, not partaking of the things of the world. So He said that whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. If you take your stand for God and what's right and, and just consider the kingdom more important than the world to you, and, you know, we say, well, what is the world? Well, the world is defined in the Scriptures in First John. Three things encompass the world. First one, he said, is lust of the flesh. That's part of the world. That's what the world's doing. We don't need to be partaker of that. Second thing is lust of the eyes. Things you desire that are not of God. Pride of life. Being so proud of the things that you have accomplished in this life. Look at all that my hands have done. Look at all I've been able to accomplish. Oh, the devil will feed your pride left and right. Make you think you're really something. That you've done something. Oh, that's got, that's got to go uh, when you serve God. It takes humility to serve God. So all that's in the world. Well, why can't I serve? Why shouldn't I serve the world? Because the world passes away. All oh, that's going to be gone for you someday. But he that doeth the will of God... He'll abide forever. So if we want eternal life, if we want to abide forever, take a stand against the world. Take a stand for God. If the devil's been trying you or you feel you're, you're a Christian, but you feel like the worldly influences around you have been burdening you, uh, we, the saints are here to pray with you and pray for you. God can deliver you from any desire to be like the world. Where all of a sudden you don't even want to be anything like them. You despise the ways of the world. You want to draw people out of the world. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You want to help people. And God can deliver you from that. If you have an inclination, you're more worried about the world, what the world thinks than what God's people think. God, God's power can deliver you from that. Where you can take a bold stand for God and not worry about what the world thinks. So, and if you're not right with God... Uh, this evening, and uh, the world has encompassed you. Something uh, in the world is probably lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the eyes, or pride of life. Somewhere in those three categories, something in there has consumed you to the point where you've forsaken God, and, and, and you've forsook the ways of God. And maybe you once had an experience with God, but something in the world 
seems so attractive to you that you threw away the good seed, which was once sown in your heart. You can make another start for God. You can make a determination and a stand tonight to say, I don't want any more to do with the world. I want to be with God, and I want to be with these wonderful people of God that will help me to go to heaven, help me on the right way. You can make that stand. God can forgive you. God can fill you with the Holy Ghost. God can change circumstances and situations. He can work a miracle in your life. If you have a burden for a lost loved one who's out in the world, you can pray for them tonight that they would be delivered from this power into deception. Oh, it seems so attractive. Oh, so glamorous the ways of the world. But it's all a deception to drag souls down to hell. If you have a lost loved one, you can pray for them tonight. The world has a great binding power on people. It's hurting souls. It's breaking up families. It's destroying. And if the church would just take a stand against the world and the ways of the world and take a stand for God and drive back the powers of Satan and take a bold stand in our own life, we can see the power of Satan moved out and the Spirit of God moved in. Change hearts. Change lives, change situations uh, for the glory of God. If you have any need tonight, God is here waiting for you at these altars. He can meet any, any need as we stand and have a song of invitation in closing.